practice makes What is practice makes practice? First and foremost, practice makes practice, I think, is a philosophy, you know, held in a nonprofit organization. <laughs> but really, practice makes practice is sort of an approach to living. If I were to sit down with someone that has no idea, that's the first thing I would say. Design to me is the pursuit of an intention. I fundamentally believe that. So I think when we say intention, it can be anything. I want a cookie. Okay? The design process is, well, how the fuck am I going to get this cookie? If I don't have any way to make the cookie at my house, I have to begin researching and analyzing my options. Well, what are my options? I could go to this store, assemble the ingredients. Okay, how much would it cost me that? What kind of cookie do I want to make? Do I want it to be chocolate chip? Do I want it to be oatmeal? Do I want it to be oatmeal cranberry? What about the nuance of some walnuts in there? Oh, that's fancy. Maybe if I get a few walnuts, but that's a lot of work. Some stuff's been invented. Now I could make the decision to go spend a little gas and drive my car to the store and just buy cookies that are already made. So what would be the joy in that? I don't know. Maybe there's more joy in the making of cookies over just the purchasing of cookies. But if I go to a particular market and get a really fancy cookie, maybe it'll feel like an indulgence. So I have a lot of decisions in front of me. So to me, many probably wouldn't look at that as a design process, but I would because you began with an intention, and then from that intention, you devise a plan to attain that desire. When we look at design as something like someone hires you to do a logo, there's still an intention, and the intention is maybe, how can this logo speak on behalf of my company? So the design process starts to go into things like, well, what do you want your company to say? Like, what's the flavor? What's the tone? Blah, blah, blah. And then you start assessing, well, what color should this logo be? What color feels trustworthy? That's why I love design. And that's one reason I think everyone's a designer and they don't even realize it. Because I don't think you can be a human being and not have desire. They are inseparable. So if you have desire, it's important to have a process in place to attain your desire. That is what design is. Formally, if we want to discuss the founding of Practice Makes Practice, that would be August of 2019 is when I actually filed the nonprofit with the state of Georgia. But really, the idea for Practice Makes Practice, I think, began, well, you have uh, an easy answer and a more difficult answer, right? The easy and short is that it sort of built up over the spring of 2019. I was working as the co-chair of graphic design at Creative Circus, and I was also an adjunct professor at the University of Georgia. So I was teaching a lot at that time. And that 
I started to really get this interest in design education, but also I was beginning to be more and more intrigued about how people viewed design and like its purpose, what it can do as an experience for the individual that is practicing design. And it seemed because of the schooling environment, it was so much about how does it align with a career? And I felt like there was a lot missing in that orientation. I was like, actually, design is a mechanism for living, you know, and it's a way of connecting with your environment, with other people. It's a way of living a more intentional existence, I think, and finding a process to achieve things that you want to achieve in your life. So that was one thing going on. And then this other thing, I was really interested in opening a bookstore in Atlanta, um, which truth is I still am interested, but, you know, I was starting to think about like, I think Atlanta is missing a really good, proper design bookstore that you can go into and be exposed to all these fascinatingly well-designed books that cover things like design theory, um, survey design practitioners, et cetera, et cetera. So this was all around May. And I actually hired one of our board members, Emily Pigeon, to sit with me and do a strategy session, like a business strategy session. And so I came to her and I said, well, I have, I have my own design practice, which I really love, and that's going to keep going. I'm a teacher right now. I want to open this shop. I wanted to kind of do these things. And I showed her examples of other places that I really liked. And one of them was A to Z in Berlin, which was a space for experimental graphic design. They did exhibits, but there was also a, a little small publishing arm in the back. Then I showed her Printed Matter Inc. It's a nonprofit in New York City that their whole focus is uh, art books. Dis dissemination of art books and helping publishing and curating and cataloging. And I showed her SSHH in New York City, which is a small art and design space run by Braulio Amato, who's also a designer. So anyway, I gave her this whole thing and it was actually Emily that said, don't do this for profit, you should do this non-profit. One thing, she was like, you'll be taxed to death if you do it for profit. But she's like, the impact and what you can actually do with it would be a much bigger scope if you did it as a nonprofit. So all of my business interests, like as an entrepreneur, has always been about, I think, introducing places to certain cultural experiences or certain like intellectual spaces or whatever, you know? And so like... Once she said that, I was like, oh my God, that makes complete sense to open up a nonprofit instead of a for-profit. So I thought long and hard about what would the name of this nonprofit be? I think I had become more and more interested in this notion of practice because I, on one level, I view life itself as a practice. We wake up every day and you make a decision to approach life in a way that works for you. You know, like you are in charge of your reality ultimately. Like you can bring your perspective to it, which requires mindfulness, it requires intention, it requires integrity, it requires listening to your intuition, it requires 
navigating joy, like actually like seeking joy to make decisions that work for you. This is something that in my classroom, I had brought up to the design process too. So this, what I just said, tends to often belong to the spiritual world, right? Like the spiritual realm, meditation, like these sort of uh, processes for living. But I, I was like, I don't think it's any different in like a practice, like a law practice, a dental practice, a design practice. Like you're still showing up and working at something every day to make it a little bit better for yourself and for everybody else. So this word practice started to rise to the service quite a bit as I was like, okay, there's something about that that I think is true for why this organization needs to exist. There's a lot of design orgs that study this, that, and the other, but I would like something that really hones in on our relationship to practicing design, you know, and how that changes our lives. So then I got a little bit of inspiration from a designer that I really love. His name is James Goggin. He is a professor at RISD. His studio is called Practice, but it's spelled with an S. So what's really great about that is he helps you understand, he's British, so he helps you understand like how practice with an S is a verb, which means the act of practicing. And I honestly loved it. And I was like, okay, that's really cool because that is the action state. Kind of the magic moment to me was riffing on this notion of practice makes perfect. It's something that I have always struggled with because what I witnessed in, again, in classrooms and also in just my dealings with my own design practice and with clients and everything else is like, this obsession with perfection is problematic. It's really uh, crippling and it creates a ton of anxiety. I think the pursuit of perfection is a blockade to joy. So this, this phrase, practice makes perfect, I was like, well, that seems, that seems uh, violent because it's like the whole orientation is about pursuing perfection. And I was like, no, no, no. The joy is in the doing. The joy is in the process of discovery. The joy is in showing up every day and tweaking and playing and, and moving things around. So then um, it just sort of clicked. I, I was like, practice makes practice. It's a loop. Like, how cool is that? You're already there. You don't need the perfection part. All you need is the, the sense of practice. Once that happened, I think the organization was born. Once I realized that the name itself is basically like the snapshot of what this organization is trying ultimately to accomplish and ultimately to encourage people to discover and realize and celebrate in their own life, I think everything kind of came from there. It's the joy of the doing, it's the experience of the experiment, the the pursuit of discovery that really lights up a good life, you know? And I wanted the Atlanta community and the Southeastern community at large to be able to learn how this can make their lives better. So an important story from my teaching that inspired practice makes practice. What 
I observed that just really shook me to my core was how much anxiety I witnessed in the students that had chosen to study design as a potential professional tract. And yet I saw students push themselves to the brink of hospitalization to get through the work. You know, they looked miserable. They did not look happy. They came into class and they first off would open up with an apology to me about X, Y, and Z. You know, why is this not this way or that way or whatever? Or, you know, I saw, you know, this other student's doing this great thing and I'm just not doing it as well or whatever. And I just thought this was, I, I was like, why is this happening? And I, I was, I think that what I noticed was, you know, the combination of how the institution was set up, that they were studying at, combined with the expectations maybe of capitalism, combined with the expectations of the working world and maybe their parents and survival and all this stuff had completely stripped them of, I think, what had inspired them to be a designer in the first place, which was play and discovery and solving problems, you know, for other people. So that was the first thing was that I just thought that the entire orientation to design or education was too much like a factory. It was too much like come in, get these good grades, go get this job. And it's, I just didn't see any joy in any of it. And I'm really serious. Like I saw students even develop things like eating disorders over this stuff or drug habits, you know, that they would stay up for days trying to get stuff done and I was like this is this is very unhealthy and this is not you know this worries me to see that like this is the culture that is being perpetuated for these people going out into this working world and so that was like right away I was like I need to do something about this and I felt confined that like just the classroom environment alone wasn't enough. I was like this, I think this is a general problem with how people think about their lives and what success is. And, you know, I was like, we need to start talking about this differently and opening up the conversation about what it means to be a designer, you know? And I think a lot of anxiety comes from the sense that your job is to like please other people as a designer, make them feel really great about this thing you did. But if, there's no joy in what you're doing. I don't know if you're ever going to be able to, to really delight people because the two are connected. The other thing that inspired me was I couldn't help but feel like design, at least design education, belonged to, to a privileged few, you know? I was teaching and I'd see these people come into my class and, you know, I thought over time, I was like, well, this is so interesting because this is just a, such a small segment of the population. And this small segment happens to have the means to be here, whether that's the means to get a loan or the means to, you know, someone's paying for it or their life has gone in such a way that they, they can be here. So I felt that worried me too, because like right away, what we're doing is we're effectively saying design is a luxury. that to even be privileged enough to come and study design, you have to be in that camp. And 
why that troubled me so much, I was like, but design touches everyone. Our whole world is design. So how is it that a privileged elite gets to make all the decisions for everybody else? That seems really, really, really wrong to me. And how do we create more accessibility so that anyone that comes into contact with the organization could learn a few tools, uh, even if it's just a, a reorientation of how they think about their day. And that meant everything to me. And I, so I'd say it was those two things that I saw way too much emotional strife surrounding design education or, or the field of design. And the second was just privilege. You know, those two things are what motivated me to do something about it in the form of a nonprofit. So, you know, when you open a nonprofit, you also have to think very much about what is the community that you're serving. And so my interest in the Southeast is that the Southeast has the potential to create a new, a new design language, a new way of doing design, a new way of approaching it, understanding it, talking about it. You know, and I would like to see the Southeast pivot from being a region that tries to look outward and follow trends coming from places like New York City to actually building its own culture that's powerful enough to have people follow us. You know, when I think about things, for instance, like our history, or I think about things like the civil rights movement, I have seen more power come out of the Southeast in terms of solving some of the most difficult social problems that this country has seen than any other region. You know, Atlanta specifically being the birthplace of Martin Luther King and the birthplace of the civil rights movement. I just think that the Southeast is a very lively, thirsty, alive place with lots of diversity, lots of potential, lots of room for exploration, experimentation, and discovery. So I couldn't think of anywhere else for it to live. For someone that already has a design education, I think practice makes practice could, could be the disruptor for them. Depending on what your design education was like, I see it as a challenge <laughs> to maybe what you learned. Um, or it could be maybe the very thing you've been looking for all along. It could be the potentially the most empowering voice that you were looking for in your design education and then like it didn't just quite, it didn't quite come. Maybe your design education was hyper-technical or maybe it was, um, too bent to one perspective, you know, too white, too, uh, too colonial. Maybe all your professors thought modernism was the only thing that mattered. Like, who knows, right? But I think like practice makes practice may become hopefully one of your greatest spaces to help you not fall into a rut postgraduate, right? Like, so you're in the field, you studied this design thing and you're really looking for a place to continue to grow and to continue seeing what sticks. I could see that being how practice serves you.
for someone with no design education and maybe not much orientation to design as we kind of know it, I'd say on the surface, I could see for the, the first engagement, delight and challenge, number one, where it, it just would expose you to something that may at first seem a little foreign. But I think it would inspire curiosity. That's what I think is really important, is through that curiosity, you begin to ask questions of your own life. And you begin to ask questions about why you're doing the things that you're doing or why you choose what you choose as it comes around in your life, you know? So then you come back to practice and you learn a little more. You start to understand that like design is an expansive thing. Like it, it's nebulous actually. <laughs> it can it can kind of shape shift depending on how you need to use design. It might alert you to a passion that you didn't know you had, which would be awesome. It might help you learn language that you didn't understand before or didn't even know existed. It might introduce you to a community of people that you find kind of interesting and you become friends with people. Um, I think all of the above and more could be there. I also think really important is for some people, they've grown up in such a way that they've only been told that certain things are available to them. And I think my hope is that practice makes practice can help them say, you know, maybe there's more out there than I thought for me. And it helps to empower a little bit beyond the narrow scope. It's important to have a way to expand. And I think that ultimately practice seeks to facilitate expansion. And I think that's where in comparison to other organizations of the same flavor, it is a little different. Practice in a funny way is also somewhat like a cheerleader. <laughs> it's encouraging people. It's an active cheerleader to try to teach people to seek better and seek beyond through practicing. And I think some of the other organizations maybe are there to create areas of focus within the what I would call the industry of design. So practice steps in and out of the industry, you know, and that's part of what I meant by expansion, right? Like it's there to almost move beyond the industry itself and help create a different understanding of what design really, really is and like what the experience of designing can be. The other thing I want to say is I think it it's necessary, practice makes practice is necessary because it puts the tool of design in everybody's hands. It takes away the barrier to entry, or it hopes to. If someone were to engage with our nonprofit, the single most important takeaway is that they can become empowered by a greater understanding of how to look at an issue through the lens of design, whatever that issue is. It can be financial, it could be communal, it could be an actual design issue. So again, I guess kind of to rephrase it is like, a single takeaway from exposure to our organization is maybe what's possible through design in a practice or thinking about it as 
aligning with it as a practice, that every human being can bring their consciousness into alignment as a designer if they want to. So if you have an intention, our organization is going to help you understand that how much fun is it to have an intention and then figure out a way to pursue that intention somewhat like a designer or more aware of design as a possibility. To me, that's where the kind of materials we expose them to, the kind of programming we expose them to, the kind of um, conversations we expose them to help them understand that embracing play and experimentation as a practice is a more efficient way and a more enjoyable way to have a great result than thinking you have to force something to be. That something has to be perfect, whatever that means, for it to be valid. That the result itself, if done through play and exploration, may be a better solution for the intention you walk in with. So practice makes practice really is, is rooted in exploration. I mean, that's the point of what it, I think it should be doing over its tenure, you know, over its existence is like, you start with this idea, which is we're not seeking perfection, we're seeking practice. We're seeking improved alignment with what we're doing. And then the rest of the organization is there to help explore that question.